0: I heard the bells on Christmas Day, those old familiar anthems play, mild and sweet their songs repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Thank you so much, Damon and Bell Choir. If you have your Bibles, please open them to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, we'll read at least initially verses 3 through 7, Galatians chapter 4. Four. I know that some of you are disappointed already that I've announced Galatians chapter four because uh, I noticed that there were twenty-three people because I counted them over here who had their Bibles open to Luke chapter three, Uh, and then I I counted seventeen people over here who had opened your Bibles to Matthew chapter two. And then I think there were three people here who had opened up their Bibles to Isaiah chapter 7 and 9. Only three people here because these folks right here, they, they just don't read the Bible that much. So, you know. So, I know you're all disappointed that I am decided to read from Galatians chapter 4. But Galatians chapter 4 is the Christmas version of the Apostle Paul. He says in verse three, when we were under age, that is when we were children, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might be adopted as children. Because you are his children, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Now to get a better grasp of what Paul is saying here, I want us to back up into chapter three so we can read the full context of what Paul is saying. I want to begin reading with verse 23 in chapter three, and then we'll read to the few verses left in that chapter and back into our focal text. In Galatians 3.23, Paul says, before the coming of this faith, this Christian faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I'm saying, he says, chapter four, verse one, is that as long as an heir is under age, he's no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption as children. Because you are his children, God sent his son, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Uh, don't get me wrong. I love the Christmas stories in Matthew. Matthew. And Luke, Matthew's version is told from the perspective of Joseph, Mary's espoused husband, espoused but not officially consummated. In Matthew's version, we have uh, the three wise men, or the, the, actually it doesn't say three, it says wise men, some versions say magi, they come from the east To see Jesus, we have Herod and his concerns over the birth of the Christ child and his attempts to assassinate the Christ child. We have in Matthew, Mary and Joseph and the child fleeing to Egypt and staying there until Herod is dead and then coming back, settling in Nazareth. That's Matthew. Luke's version is told from the perspective of not Joseph but Mary. Luke probably interviewed Mary to get some of the information that he records in Luke chapters 2 and 3. Luke's version uh, consists of Jesus being born in a cow stall. Luke's version has the visit of the shepherds and the proclamation of the angels Luke's version has Mary and Joseph, when Jesus is eight days old, traveling the short distance from Bethlehem northward to Jerusalem, going into the temple where he is uh, dedicated. And then Luke has, as Matthew does, has the family back down in Nazareth. Those are the Christmas stories we're used to. And of course, a lot of times we'll go back into the Old Testament, so many wonderful messianic prophecies, those predictions of those Old Testament prophets, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, talking about a Christ, an anointed one of God who would come centuries later. Isaiah in chapter 7, verse 14, behold, a virgin will conceive and give birth to a child and you will call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us. Isaiah 9, 6, for unto us a a son is given, unto us a child is born, and the government will be on his shoulder, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father, Almighty God, Prince of Peace. Of his government there will be no end. Isaiah chapter 40, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, comfort ye. And there are other passages. But here in Paul, Paul doesn't have a narrative of the birth of Jesus, and he's after the fact, so he doesn't give prophecies concerning the birth of Jesus. He does uh, point us toward the second coming of Jesus. But in this wonderful passage, we have Paul's Christmas card, if you will. It's his Christmas card. Uh, We don't know exactly what time of the year Paul wrote this letter. In fact, the letter to the Galatians, there's a lot of debate over what year he wrote it. It could be very early, could be very late. We don't know. Depends on who he's writing to. There were two different regions called Galatia at the time that Paul wrote. But one thing I know is that Paul here describes what I call the greatest, the best Christmas gift ever. Now, you already knew that. If we were to have a pop quiz today, and the one question on it was, What was the best Christmas gift ever given? Y'all are going to get a a, a hundred on it. I know it. You're going to put down Jesus. I mean, it's kind of like the little children in the children's sermon one time said, whenever I, I, I was up there and I had, I don't even remember the point I was making, but I had this stuffed squirrel and I held it up and I said, I said, kiddos, what is, what am I holding up right here? And the little boy raised his hand and he said, it looks like a squirrel, but I know it's Jesus. <laughs> the answer is always Jesus. <laughs> We know that the best Christmas gift ever was God's gift of his son to us. We know that for a fact. But let's just just analyze the question, what makes this gift the best ever? And Paul gives us some answers to that question in this passage. First off, he says that this gift is the best Christmas gift ever because it came at just the right time. Verse four says, but when the set time had fully come, one translation says, but when the fullness of time had come, as you can tell by looking at me, my wife is an excellent cook, no amens. She isn't, she is an excellent cook. We had our staff Christmas get together last night, and she cooked a turkey. And I was watching her as she was cooking it. I was watching from a distance because she told me to stay out of the kitchen. And she put this long metal thing with some sort of uh, thermometer at the top of it, and she stuck that thing down in that turkey. And I said, what are you doing? And she said, well, I know that this turkey is done when the, the deep inside it, it gets to a certain temperature. And I said, before, she said, before it gets to that temperature, it's not going to be cooked well enough. She said, once it gets to that temperature, if I leave it in there 15 minutes more, it's going to start drying it out. She says, it has to arrive at just the right temperature. Paul says, when the fullness of time had come, when the set time, God knew what the time would be, when the set time, the time that had already been set, fully came, God sent forth his son. We've had several uh, Mothers give birth to children in recent years. It's been a delight to watch those families grow and the anticipation and the expectation. And, and, uh, but, but no one knows better than a mother who, who conceives and gives birth to a child how the, the, the months of that pregnancy, she can, she can tell when it's not right, not yet the right time for that child to come, and then when the time is exactly right. It's a pregnant moment. It is a perfect time. Why didn't God bring his son into the world much earlier? Could he have waited later? Was there a better time? Not according to God. When the time that was set had fully come. The gift was just in time. As a pastor... I know what it means for someone to give Amanda and me a gift unexpected and it comes and I'm thinking, wow, this could not have come at a better time. It's the best Christmas gift ever because it came at just the right time. Secondly, this gift was the best Christmas gift ever because it came from just the right person. God sent forth his son. Not Joseph, not just Mary, not somebody else, not Isaiah as important as Isaac, not a God sent forth his son. When I was growing up, every Christmas day was a very busy day, as I'm sure that for some of you, many of you it is. At at lunchtime we'd go to my granny and Papa Allen's, my mother's folks, and uh, we'd draw names. We would eat, of course, and we would draw names. We'd draw names on Thanksgiving, and then we would exchange the gifts on Christmas. Same thing, we did that with the oars. We'd eat Christmas dinner. Uh, So we'd draw names. And I was always, even as a young boy, and even on up in the teenage years, I was always very eager to, to see who drew my name. Because there were some people who, if they drew your name, and if you knew it in advance, by Thanksgiving evening, you grieved until Christmas. <laughs> because they gave the stupidest gifts or they gave the sorriest gifts. I mean, I'm a little boy, four or five years old. I don't want underwear. I don't want socks. I don't, no. I want a motorcycle is what I want. But if I found out that my Aunt Ellen, my mother's sister, drew my name, and I found out about it by the end of Thanksgiving, I could not wait to get back to Granny Allen's on Christmas Day. Because I knew coming from Aunt Ellen, the gift was going to be absolutely the coolest thing ever. This Christmas gift of God's son was the best ever because it was just in time, came just in the right time, and because it came from just the right person. According to Paul, God is the one who gave the greatest Christmas gift ever. God gives the best gifts. And third, this gift is the best ever because it came in an unexpectedly normal way. Now, I suppose had it come in, in uh, an, an extra, extra extraordinary way, it would still be, that would still make it the best ever. And and you could argue, well, good gracious, Jimmy, uh, God sent his son through the uh, uh, a virgin uh, woman, Mary, and that's pretty extraordinary. And it is, absolutely it is, absolutely it is. But do you remember how God created Adam? Genesis chapter 2. The Bible says that he formed Adam out of the dust of the earth, and then he breathed into his uh, nostrils the, the breath of life, and, he, and Adam became a living soul. He, when, when Adam opened up his eyes and was one day old, he looked like he was 30. Do you know that? I know some of you didn't know that because you don't read the Bible. But he was fully grown when he was one day old. God could have done that with Jesus. It would have saved a whole lot of time, really. And it would have saved a whole lot of heartache, I think, especially with some of the families around Bethlehem within the two, first two years of Jesus' life. But God didn't choose to create Jesus, send him into the world, just fully grown like he did Adam. Instead, he brought him into this world through normal means. Mary conceived of the Holy Spirit. Mary went through nine, give or take a few days, months of pregnancy. Mary had uh, the discomfort. She had the baby kicking in her womb. I know the Bible doesn't say that, but you and I both know that is what she, she did feel. Now they didn't have a gender reveal party. We have that nowadays, you know got to have that. They didn't they didn't have that. They could have because she she was the probably the first one who actually knew what the gender of the son was going to be. How about that? It's kind of not fair. And then her water broke. And she started having pains and contractions. And I'm sure that Joseph was there holding her hand saying, honey, breathe, breathe, breathe in and breathe real slow. And my guess is, although I know we tend to want to think that Mary's the sweet little kind, always something nice to say. She probably spit some ugly words at him. Get out of this room. This gift came in an unexpectedly normal way. Why did God do that? I have an idea that God did that so that we would realize that God really does want to equate with us. He wants to show us that not only did he he come down from heaven to this garbage dump by contrast called earth, but he came from heaven down to earth through the process of a normal pregnancy of a normal young lady. It makes it great. Fourth, this gift is the greatest ever because it it was exactly what we needed. If you could get the gift right now that is exactly what you need, what would it be? Paul says in verse 5 that God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might be adopted as children, God's children. What did we need? What did God look down from heaven and see that we need? He looked down from heaven and seen that we were born the darkest of dark, the most chaotic of chaos, that we were the most dirty of dirt, that we were the the most sinful of the sinners. He saw that and he saw that we needed redemption. And so he sent this gift to us and this gift was exactly what we needed. Fifth, this gift comes equipped with a power source. Paul says in verse 6, because you are his children, God sent the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out Abba Father. God sent the Spirit. Now there are a lot of things the Bible says about the Spirit. One of the great things about the Spirit is He empowers us in our Christian walk. He is the He's the, the batteries included in the gift. I always loved getting gifts for our kids. Now, I really love getting gifts for Bellamy and Avalon. I'm, I'm telling you, Avalon, she hasn't even said a word yet. And that car that I bought her is just, she's going to love it. But boy, it is annoying. You buy a gift for your kids or your grandkids And you get ready to put it together at what amounts to be a godforsaken time. And you open it up and you put it together and there are no no batteries with it. And although you will have 50 AA batteries in one drawer in your kitchen and you'll have 37 AAA batteries in another. And you'll have 1D battery and you'll have 3C batteries. Whatever that toy requires will require... Three more batteries than what you have in the house. And so you realize that you have to sneak out and go down to that crazy unorthodox store that stays open 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, including on Christmas. And you walk in and they're waiting for you. They know you're coming. Because there is a line at the register of parents who look like they just rolled out of bed and they're mad and their eyes are puffy and they have taken the price tags that normally were on those batteries, they've taken them off and they have put price tags that are four times the normal price on those batteries. You know why? Because they knew you were coming. Amen. <laughs> But Paul says that this gift that God has given us, the greatest Christmas gift ever, comes with the power source included. I love the little note on the box, batteries included. And finally, and I think this is the best part, this gift is the best Christmas gift ever because it comes with an eternal life guarantee. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting, unending, unceasing, unstopping eternal life. My Amanda has a 2006 Mustang convertible with a V6 engine. She loves that car. In fact, and we before we lost Lucy, her dog, you remember Lucy Fur? We lost Lucy after 19 years, just a few months back. But before Lucy died, for my Amanda it was God, Bellamy and Avalon, Zach and Hillary, Lucy, that Mustang, and me. And she will tell you that. I am not lying. I don't want you to have pity on me. I was last. She loves that car. Well, the alternator went out on that car this past week, and at first we thought it was the battery, so we got a new battery, but still some lights were coming on. So I took it to the Ford dealership and uh, told them we were having some issues with it. They did a diagnosis, and they d- determined that the car needed a new alternator, and I said, well, and we keep all the receipts on our cars for every kind of work we have on it, and we keep it in the dash pocket. And we pulled out a receipt where we had bought an all the alternate that was on that car. We bought it at the Ford dealership two years ago. They charged us a thousand dollars to put that thing in there. I still got the receipt. And so I said, we have the receipt. This alternator is only two years old. He says, the fellow says, and he was a nice fellow. He says, Mr. Orr, I realized that, but he said, that alternator has a two-year warranty <laughs> and it went out last August, four months ago. And I said, don't you have a grace period? On these alternators? He said, I wish we did. I said, well, how much would you charge me? How much is it going to cost to put a new alternator in? He said, it's going to cost $684 drive out. And I thought, two years ago and four months, you charged me $1,000 to put that same alternator in. I said, I'll tell you what. I'm going to come pick the car up and put the alternator in myself. Well, not really. So I went and picked the car up. I bought an alternator from a parts place for $219. And I paid a guy $200 to put it in her car. But you know what is true about that alternator I bought from that parts place? It has a lifetime guarantee for as long as I own the car. What about that? Now, you and I both know that alternation is not going to last that long. But let me tell you what is true. Paul said this in 2 Timothy 1, verse 12. He says, Timothy, he says, I know in whom I believed, and I am convinced that he, God, is able to Guard, keep that which I've entrusted unto him against that day. You know what that means? That means that when God sent his Son and you received his Son as your Savior, God has put into writing in blood an eternal life guarantee. It will not go away. So, Merry, Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how wonderful and gracious and giving and merciful you are. You're right on time. You're the perfect gift giver. You give us exactly what we need. You don't make us have to go run to the store in the middle of the night and pay triple for the power source. You equip us with it. And Lord, you give us an eternal life guarantee, not just a two-year guarantee, not just a lifetime guarantee, but an eternal life guarantee. What more could we hope for at Christmas? Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.